Hello. How's it going, guys? Very good. So they let us talk again for some reason. A few weeks ago, if you weren't here, uh, Dominic and I both got the opportunity to share. Dom shared a bit of his testimony, and then I got to preach out of the word. Tonight, we're going to do the reverse. You got, I'm going to share with you guys a little of my testimony. Dom's going to come after and bring the word. So I just want to pray before we get started, and then I'll just share with you guys my life story. Jesus, thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for this facility. God, you're truly incredible. You're faithful, you love us, and you're always by us, Lord, even when we wander, even when we sin. Lord, you never give up on us. Thank you for the work you've done in my life. I hope that it will inspire others tonight or encourage whatever you have, Lord, whatever you want to be done. Just use my testimony. Use the power of what you've done in my life to bless others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so... My testimony is very different from Dominic's. I grew up in this church. From the day I was born, I was attending this church. I actually had the entire Bible read to me in my mother's womb before I even came out. We had, my parents both worked at this church. We used to have a cafe, and they would do Bible studies together. And for the entire duration of my mother's pregnancy, I got to hear the whole word of God. And it was just kind of crazy, which is super special. And from a young age, I've had such a love for God's word, an absolute love for it. And of course, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Elijah the prophet. My name's Elijah. So I, I always joke with people, you know, Elijah was one of the two people we know of who didn't die. Elijah was taken up in a chariot of fire. Enoch was described as a man who walked with the Lord and was no more. And so I always would joke with people, I'm back. I came back. I'm here. <laughs> If, you, if you're into eschatology, there is two prophets who are supposed to come in the last days, and they're believed through Jewish tradition to be Elijah and Moses, and they can breathe fire, they have power over the plagues, over the weather, and it's crazy. I won't do any of that tonight. I mean, I made it a little windy today, but we got to go out with our youth group this morning and go climb that mountain you guys can see in the background there and just spend time in the Word. It was, it was amazing. It was so fun. So... One of the first things I noticed growing up was, because I've been brought up in this church and I've been brought up in what it means to be a Christian. One of the first things I noticed is that life is kind of awful. Just from a young age, right at middle school, I started to pick up on the fact that things change, things deteriorate, things die, and I just found myself lacking joy. I had been taught the scriptures. I loved participating in Bible trivia or anything like that. Like, or just sharing what I've learned about the Bible was always a passion for me. And I didn't know what to make of what was happening to me when I was in middle school. It was, it was depression. I understand that now. But it didn't, there was no joy in my heart. I had a little bit of happiness when I would interact with some of my close friends. But other than that... It was like, what's the point of living? What's the point of doing this? And, and I've read God's word many times at this point. But I'm young. I'm trying to understand. And I came across something that Elijah did, the prophet Elijah in the Bible. I want to read it to you real quick. It's out of 1 Kings 18. If you're curious, I'm just going to read it real quick. It says this. And Elijah came to all the people of Israel, and he said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The people answered him not a word. And I was so inspired by Elijah. He had the confidence to approach the king, all the king's prophets who worship Baal, and was like, why are you guys being iffy? Decide. Who's God? Who are you going to serve? And the confidence Elijah had in who God was. You know what the word Elijah means? 
it means Yahweh is God. And so from a young age, I'd known this. I'd, I'd been inspired by Elijah, but I didn't have that confidence. Growing up in church, knowing all these Bible facts did not lead me to a loving understanding of who God is. It did not lead me to confidence in who God has made me to be and what value that I actually have as a child of God. It wasn't until I took the challenge to understand what is truth. From a young age, I was obsessed with the character Sherlock Holmes. I love the first, like one of the first things if in Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle's book is John Watson climbs up some stairs to go meet Watson in his apartment, and when he gets up to the top, Sherlock's question is, hey, how many stairs did you take to get up here? And Watson's like, what? I don't know. And Sherlock quickly responds, 39. You know, it's very easy. He understood, like he says to Watson, he says, you see, but you do not observe. And so I always found that to be impactful. It's like there, are, there is stuff to see in this world that we are constantly looking at, but perhaps we're not understanding it correctly. So knowing I had grown up as a Christian, I thought, hmm, I wonder if any other religion has answers. Mind you, I'm in middle school. At middle school in this time, I decide because I'm homeschooled and I have free time. I mean, school was a couple hours in the morning and then done. But I found a lot of free time and I chose to use that free time to explore what other religions are there? What do people make of the world? Is there truth to be found? Because if there is truth to be found, I'll stake my life on it. That's what I told myself as a middle schooler. It's like, there's no other reason to live. And I know that I'd grown up in Christianity, so I said, no, nah, I'm going to look at other stuff. I'm going to study evolution. I want to study Buddhism. I want to study what the world has to offer. And as I began to study all these things, I ended up with way more questions than what I began with. And that's what's different about Christianity. I left Christianity the very last. And it wasn't until I read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis that I intellectually understood Jesus has to be God. He has to be the ruler of this universe, just even logically, just by the sheer amount of people who gave their lives to defend the claim that Jesus is risen, that there is power in his name. Just so many people gave their lives, so many people staked everything on this for a lie? No. And C.S. Lewis said something in his book, Mere Christianity, that really changed my attitude towards Christ. I'll read you the quote. He says, If we let ourselves... We shall always be waiting for some distraction or other to end before we can really get down to our work. The only people who achieve much are those who want knowledge so badly that they seek it while the conditions are unfavorable. Favorable conditions never come. When I read this, I understood. I just have to seek truth. I have to seek it as hard as I can. I have to make my life about this. Everything else is pointless. I can see it. And I started reading through the Bible for myself. I reached the book of Ecclesiastes, which most people find depressing. I found very encouraging. I found it like, yes, this is how I feel. Vanity of vanity. Everything seems to be vanity. What is this world? But also to realize that God is working in the midst of it. God provides safety to those who put their trust in him. And he gives answers. And Jeremiah tells us that if you call out to God, he'll teach you things that are mighty, that are great, that you don't know. So I learned, I learned from C.S. Lewis. I learned from Elijah. And it just, it changed me. I'm going to follow Jesus. There's no other option for me. But I had a head knowledge. I got it here. There was no real emotional response. It was simply, he has to be God. I either accept that where I go insane and live whatever life I want and then end it. That was, those were my options. And I was like, well, I have to pick serving the Lord. It's the best option. 
And so I started to serve him. I started to rip open my Bible. I started to write out, write through notes. I started going in high school. I started working at In-N-Out Burger, which was really cool. A lot of fun, a lot of weird stories. A lot of weird people go to In-N-Out Burger, particularly late at night. I mean, there, there was one evening I left the building and the co- there were cops surrounding the building. They had shotguns drawn. They were closing in. And I was like, what? And, everyone, and the cops were like, is everyone okay in there? And I said, I hope so. Turns out one of our employees was smashing the silent alarm because he thought it would close a window. Um, so it's not just the customers. The in-and-out workers, too, can be a little crazy. So I found myself loving that environment. I got to share the gospel. I got to make claims like, I'm, going to, I'm saving myself until marriage. That rocked everyone. I remember that. It felt weird. You know, I'm a homeschool kid who does Boy Scouts, goes to church, and here I am just slapped into the real world with normal people who had all sorts of issues of themselves, but they took notice of me right away that I was different, and I'm thankful because it was the Lord. I am proud to say that after leaving that company, I had a chance to evangelize to every single one of my coworkers. I didn't get to see anyone give their lives to Christ, but the seeds are planted. Someone else can harvest them. It's not, it doesn't have to be me. It's the Lord who works in, these, in this way. I just will play whatever part he wants me to. So I got to evangelize to people, and while I was working at In-N-Out, the next stage of my life was, what am I going to do with myself? Well, what, what kind of work do I want to apply myself to? Because the only thing I really love is talking about the Bible. I should have thought working in a church, but it just never occurred to me. I thought, you know, I'm loving this. I'm just evangelizing in and out Maybe I'll climb the ranks at in and out be a store manager myself, and just continue to do what I'm doing. And then the Lord started to push me towards fire, fire services, emergency fire services. So once I graduated high school, still working at in and out I decided I'm going to go to Oxnard Community College. I'm going to take classes about fire, about building construction. I'm going to start heading that way in my life. And Got into a cadet program. I got to ride around with people every single week who were real firemen. I got to work out with them, sleep sleep in the same places they did. I go on all the calls they did. But that also brought a heaviness to me that made me realize how dark this world is. The first call we went on, I'm homeschooled and Christian, and my exposure to the world is in and out at this point. I go to... Our, we, the lights go off in the station. Everyone's rushing to the engine. We climb on the engine. We go, ru- we go rushing to this apartment complex right by the old Hillcrest location. And we go there. We pull up to the apartment. We go in. The first call I went on was a mother who had overdosed, who was pregnant. And the only reason we were called was because her 15-year-old son, who was making out with a 13-year-old in the back room, found his mom, OD'd, and called us. First thing I saw, and this was here in Thousand Oaks, and I was like, what? (laughs) This is my hometown. I thought everything was fine here. I didn't think it was that bad. So I started to realize there's so, so much darkness. The darkness that I felt briefly as a middle schooler, I can't imagine living all the way up until this time not knowing Jesus, not knowing truth. And it just ignited in my heart a desire to talk to everyone I could about Jesus. So we... I spend time with the fire department. We get this substitute captain come in one day. Our head captain wanted to go to Disneyland. So we went to Disneyland with his wife. We get this substitute captain. He comes in, and he's like, hey, cadet, what do you do? What do you do for school? I'm homeschooled. He goes, what? I was like, yeah. And he's like, do you have any friends? I was like, yeah, I have a girlfriend. I did have a girlfriend at the time. And he said, your sister? (laughs) 
And so I was like, all right, this guy's just going to make fun of me. Like, this is not going to be a conversation. He started, I just answered his question. No, I was respectful. What happened right after that was he goes, what do you do for fun? I said, I actually love going to church. Four hours later, we're still talking. We spent four hours talking about faith. He asked me questions about abortion. He asked me questions about legalism. He asked me about eschatology. He asked me so many things. And at first, it was just me and this captain. All of a sudden, the engineer comes over. The paramedics come over. The other cadets are sitting and listening. And it's just me and the captain going back and forth. We spent four hours talking about the word. And I defended the faith as best as I could. I'm not saying I did a great job, but I did something. The Lord did something through me. At the end of that conversation, the captain and everyone says to me, you know, you could go for fire, but you definitely should consider working at a church being someone who explains the gospel. I took that very seriously. I heard that and I went, I mean, I'm kind of down to be a firefighter and maybe serve in the church on the side. But based on what he said, maybe I should pursue the Lord only in my life. And still at this point, I have this intellectual head knowledge of who God is. And I'm, I'm starting, my heart is starting to adjust. It's starting to just grow in love for who God is. As this is all happening, I've given up fire. I'm still working it in and out. I don't know what's going to come next, but I know that the Lord has gifted me in a certain way to explain things about the truth. Out of nowhere, this head pastor asks to meet with me after a shift. I meet with him. He asks me, can you take over my middle school? And I said, no. <laughs> I was like, what? No. I walk by the youth room at church and I hear, Wah! I hear screaming. I hear nonsense. I don't know if I want to be a part of that. And as, as soon as I said no, it was like time froze around me and I felt God's presence. And he said to me, Elijah, am I allowed to change you? I said, yes, Lord, of course. It's like, I hope you change me for the better always. And he goes, well, then let me. And, it, and then it was done. Time resumed, and I was kind of looking at myself like, who am I? I feel different. Something's different. The next day, we get this bus full of middle schoolers that come in. They always order wrong. They grab the wrong food. They make chaos in the store. But I wanted to know their names all of a sudden. I wanted to know how they were doing. I literally had been changed in an instant by the Lord to just have this passion for this age group. And I said, Lord, I think you're doing something. The next day, two days later from the original meeting with the head pastor, Pastor Rob says, hey, would you consider in, a, in, in some time serving as my youth middle school leader? Two days, two different head pastors, the same exact offer. I said, Lord, this has got to be you. I don't want this. And you're changing me. And all of a sudden, I'm loving this. And two different head pastors, Lord, you've got my attention. And I mean, that's kind of a brief overview of most of my life getting to know Jesus, but the heart. The, the part that really matters, having a love for who God is. God gave that to me through working at this church. Studying through the scriptures with some of the youth, in particular the last month or so, has revealed to me the weight of my own sin. It has revealed to me the splendor and the glory of God and how, how willing he is to share it with us. That broke me. Just realizing God made this perfect world and then we screwed it up and... Then he gave us the law to try and help, but our evil nature said, no, you tell me what not to do, that's what I'm going to go and do. He never gave up on us. And then he came and sacrificed his deity for a brief time, really. Uh, that might be heretical. I don't know if that's true. Sorry. He left heaven. He came down to earth as a man in flesh. And he suffered. And he let men kill him. 
And I've, I always know that story. I've always heard that. We're going to be taking communion later. We're going to be remembering that. And I, I practiced it growing up in this church, taking communion, remembering it, but seeing God work in the kids' lives. I got to have a conversation with one of our youth as we hiked back down the mountain. I was like, what did you learn? What did you read in the Word today? They were sharing with me how the Spirit of God is the one that should be leading you in everything, and that's what they had learned. It's not your own might, your own intelligence. It's simply letting God work in your life and grow you into who he wants you to be. I I just was stunned. It's like, this is a middle schooler telling me this just on their alone time in the word, up on a mountain. And I have countless stories, guys. I don't want to take up a lot of time, but seeing the Lord work in these kids' lives and in the leaders' lives that serve with me, everybody, it, it just is daily making my heart grow softer, more alive. Who God is and who Jesus is and everything they did for us, oh, wretched man that I am. Why does the Lord think of me, let alone do all this for me? Amen? Amen. Be encouraged. The Lord is faithful to work through lives that are very, very broken, all the way to kids who have been surrounded by the word their whole life and struggle with things like depression and anxiety. The Lord works in beautiful ways I never would have imagined working at a church, and yet it's the thing that I've always loved. So yeah, I don't know if I don't really have a clever ending, but that's, that's a very large view of my testimony. I've been with this church forever. I, if you guys want to hear crazy stories about this church, come talk to me after. I'll tell you things you wouldn't believe, but I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to let Dominic come up and preach the word. We welcome him up, please. Hey, what's up, Godspeak? How you guys doing? Who was here the other day, a um, couple weeks ago, when I told my story? Okay, good amount. Do you guys remember I said, um, who wants to win the Super Bowl? I mean, who do you guys want to win the Super Bowl, the Rams or the Bengals? And like I said, if Isaac's team loses, which is the Bengals, I'll get a recording of it and I'll show you guys. I got, I got the video and it's pretty funny. I'm a man of my word. Oh! Honestly, I, every time I watch that, I kind of feel bad because, like, I'm a big football fan and I'm an Eagles fan. If we would have lost a couple years ago, I would have probably cried, honestly. But, um, yeah, so tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 and we're going to be talking about the prodigal son. So if you guys will open your Bible and turn with me there. The reason why I'm in the prodigal son, if you've heard my story, really is um, I grew up in a bad area. This is for the people who didn't hear it. I grew up in a bad area and really, at a young age, just got involved with a bad crowd. 
Um, but I grew up in church, and I, was, and I was taught the goodness and the grace of the Lord. I knew the word. I was taught it well. Um, but I let the, the desires and the lust of the world really entice me and pull me away from the goodness of God. And at the age of 16, I was addicted to heroin. By the age of 18, I was a homeless drug addict. And so I was a prodigal. And so this week I was thinking, I'm like, what do I want to share with, with um, the congregation? I haven't taught in a long time. Um, I usually just share my testimony. Um, I've been here for about 10 months now, and I just help with the youth. So I really only fill in when I'm needed. And so I haven't taught in a while, and I'm kind of getting overwhelmed because Pastor Greg, Craig is in Uganda, and I'm his assistant. And I kind of had to take over with helping with the men's study. And um, they told us Wednesday that we were supposed to have like a prayer night. And I, I guess we got the dates mixed up, and I was kind of overwhelmed already. But they were like, you're up. You know, you're Pastor Craig while he's gone. And I was like, all right, Lord, let's, let's see what's going to happen. And so I'm there, and it started at 6. It's like 5.58. And I'm like, all right, I guess no one's showing up. And last second, two people show up. And I'm like, we're supposed to have worship. We're supposed to have a devotion. And I'm like, oh, sorry, we don't have any of that. But I was like, if you want to pray, we can do it. And both the guys were like, yeah, let's pray for an hour. And the prayer really just ministered to me so much. And it was totally a God thing. They prayed for me. They gave me peace. They gave me joy. And at the end, I really, I talked to them about my story. I told them who I am. Because these guys, this is why it's a God thing. These guys come on Sundays sometimes, but they don't go to our men's study. They don't really go to any of our ministries. And they showed up, and we met them for the first time. I thought I met them before. I never did. And we prayed, and afterwards told them my story. And I was like, yeah, I, I was a drug addict, and the Lord saved me from that. And I won't say any names, but afterwards the guy was like, tearing up and he's telling me he's like that's what I needed to hear that's what I needed to hear he's like I just needed some hope for my son and it's so encouraging to see you and how the Lord changed your life and like that was that God thing that told me like this is what I needed to teach on so we're going to be in Luke chapter 15 starting in verse 11 Um, it's about the prodigal son and really what I want to do tonight because I know this is a a Saturday night we have a lot of disciplined people in the word here um, I really want to try and aim it for people who have prodigals in their life. So what's a prodigal? I looked up what the word meant, and what it means in English is really a person that ha- is wasteful living. Wasteful living. And so we have a completely understa- different understanding of what that is in the, as a Christian. When we think of a prodigal, we think of someone who is grown up in the church, who has walked with the Lord, who has tasted the goodness of what he has to offer, and then has walked away for a short time. And I was just thinking about, you know, how times are changing. Like, times are just getting worse and worse. And it seems like there's so many more prodigals, and it's so common nowadays. And um, so the Lord just put that on my heart. And in this story, the context of really what's going on is Jesus, he started his ministry, and of course he's kind of like beefing, like fighting with the Pharisees. That's what that means. And he's fighting with them, and... um, They're like, why do you sit and and eat and hang out with sinners? And if you guys remember, Jesus said, I didn't come for the the healed. I came for the sick. And so he goes into these parables. He starts talking about the parable of the 99 sheep and how one goes missing. And the shepherd would go and look for that one sheep and how God is like that. And then he told the story about the 10 coins with the woman who had nine coins. And she lost one. 
but she put aside the nine to go find one and then celebrated when they found the one, just talking about God's goodness of when he finds that one sinner and how he's happy and how he rejoices. And so it comes to the next parable, the parable of the lost son. And really, it's the same kind of story. A prodigal, as I said, is someone with um, wasteful living. And the three characters that we have that we're going to see in this story are the father, the prodigal, and the second son. And really the father is going to depict God's love in this story. He's going to show God's heart towards sinners. He's going to show um, how he has such a big heart and he wants to redeem people. He doesn't really cast people to the side just because they're sinners. Then we're going to see the prodigal, the person that was like me, the knucklehead, who will go out and will spend his inheritance and he'll waste it and he'll eventually come back and we'll see that the father will take him back. And then the second son was the Pharisee, who we're not going to be talking much about tonight because of the message that I believe the Lord put on my heart and just not having that much time. Um, But yeah, so we're going to start in verse 11. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of the goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So in a patriarchal society, when the the parents or the family, the father, would give away their inheritance, it would only go to the males. So sorry, women, like, you'd probably be broke. But um, it would only go to the males, and the first son would get about half, or what they would call a double portion. But the younger son would get about a third of it. And so the father is willing, he gives them their inheritance, but no doubt in the back of his mind, the prodigal son, the youngest son, already knows and has a plan of what he wants to do with that money, right? See, the enemy had infiltrated in his head and painted a picture of what sin would be, and he made it look beautiful. He was like Michelangelo, you know? And he made it look beautiful, and when the enemy does that, and he paints a picture in these prodigals' minds, He never shows the consequences of the actions. He only shows all the benefits. He says, oh, well, you can go and be with that woman and that'll be awesome. You can go and do those drugs and that'll be awesome. You can go and you can do drink, party, do whatever you want and it'll be awesome. But what he never tells you is that there's consequences to your actions. And just like the father, just like God, he he allows the son to go. He gives the son the inheritance and he allows him to go. And it was probably upsetting for him because the third of what the father would give as an inheritance was usually movable items. So he would probably have to sell some things like cattle and things like that, cows. And then he would have to give the son some money. And so that was probably upsetting, but no doubt what was most upsetting for the father is that he had to watch his son go. And this is the same son that he grew up since a baby It was the same son that he held as a baby, that he fed for the first time, that he saw him say their first word, that he taught him how to read a book, that he taught him how to eat, taught him how to throw a football, taught him how to watch TV, all these things. So this relationship the father has with his his son is strong. And when he leaves the prodigal son, no doubt he brings his dad's heart with him. So moving on. Verse 13, it says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. 
But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. So it says he went to a far country. <clears throat> he went to a far country because he wanted to be outside the presence of his father. Right? He didn't want to embarrass him. He didn't want to shame him. He didn't want to sin in his sight. But his father knew. His father knew. He had an idea. Just like God. When we walk out of his presence, so we think. And we think we can sin and we can get away with it. The Lord is watching the whole time. And it's breaking his heart. But it says there he went and wasted his possessions. I'm sure none of you guys can identify with wasting. Yeah. So when you're a prodigal and it comes to wasteful living, it's almost like a hundred times worse. It really is. And he has all this money for a short time and he thinks it's going to be awesome. But quickly he'll realize that it runs out quick when you're prodigal living. And that word prodigal right there means riotous living. So he's going out and partying and we'll see later well, actually, we won't get to it, but his brother says that he was going and getting harlots, which were prostitutes. He was most likely drinking, doing drugs, and just really living the worst way possible. But then it says, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. In want. So this is an important thing for the prodigal, because in his life, he had never felt in want before. He grew up in a nice home. His family had a business. They had money. They had cattle. They had land. He had never been in want. He had clothes. He had a bed. He had food. He had all these things. And Isaac, if you could bring up the first slide. And this is the first slide for um, if you have a prodigal in your life. And honestly, a prodigal doesn't have to be a kid. right? In this context, we see that a prodigal is a kid, but a prodigal could be Anyone in your family who's really in sin that walked away from the Lord. And the first thing is let them be in want. Do not enable them. If they want to live a life of sin, let them figure out how to do that on their own. Don't give them money. Don't pay their bills. Don't let them stay with you, if possible. I know a lot of them are young kids. But my mom was so good at this. She, when I started doing drugs again, she pretty much told me, you can't be here. You can't stay here anymore. I don't want to find you dead. And I know how hard it was for my mom to do that because she loved me and the same thing. She had, she had watched me grow up as a kid. She had taught me all these first things that I grew up with a single mom. She didn't want to put me on the street because she knew the possibility of what happened, but it's what had to happen. She couldn't enable me to live in that sinful behavior and do drugs in her house. So she sent me out. And eventually, like, I had... Um, couches to sleep on, like people would let me stay at their house, and it was good for a while, but eventually you start to remember how good you really had it. And this is really the first step in the coming back to the Lord, coming back from a prodigal life, as being in want and realizing how much better that you had it. So moving on, verse 15 it says, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So he goes to a different country, and now he's, he's out of money. They sent him into the fields to feed swine. So this is the part where like, everybody in the crowd that Jesus is talking to would have been devastated. Like, they would have been freaking out, because pigs and swine were considered unclean to them. That you couldn't be in the presence of them, you weren't supposed to touch them, you weren't supposed to sleep with them, you weren't supposed to dwell with them, right? 
And it says, he would have gladly filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So the food, he would literally be eating food with the swine, but it was not filling to him. And I think this is a spiritual application here, because if you compare the swines to a heathen, and you look at the world, when you first go out with that picture of how fun sin is going to be, you are never actually filled with um, that, that food that the swine eats. You are never filled with what the, what the world has to offer. That hole in your heart, so many things you try and fill it with, whether that's drugs, whether that's money, sex, whatever it is, none of those things ever satisfy, right? None of those things that the satisfy, satisfy the pigs will ever satisfy you because you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. You've tasted the goodness that he could do in your life. And so doing these sinful things are never going to be able to satisfy you at all. And could you bring up the next slide? Notice here it also says no one gave him anything. And it's funny because when you're living, you know, in the beginning when you first come to sin, like, everybody's your friend. When he has that inheritance, he probably has a bunch of friends everywhere. They're doing drugs with him. You know, they're partying, they're with the prostitutes. They're doing all these things with him, and everybody's there for him. But as soon as he hits rock bottom, and he's literally sleeping with swine, he's literally eating with them, then no one's there to be found. No one's there to help you out. And that's exactly the picture that you get from Satan. He entices you to sin as soon as you get there. He'll literally help you get into sin, but once you're there, you're on your own. He leaves you by yourself to self-destruct, to hate yourself to be depressed. And this leads us to our second point. And this is let them be broken. Let them hit rock bottom. See, God's universe is a sow and reap universe. They need to experience the consequences to their actions. Don't run to the rescue. So many people with prodigals in their life run to cushion the blow. They need to be broken to realize you need a savior, right? So it's a sow and reap universe. If you're doing bad things, the way that God designed it is you are supposed to face the consequences to your action. And I see so many prodigals in their life that, and by the way, I forgot to add that when I went, I went to a program in Maine, and there, that's where I heard the word, and there I got saved, and that's where the Lord truly changed my life. But I also went to the leadership program there, and I was amongst other prodigals, and what my job would be was to look over these other prodigals. So I would see the parenting that they had, I would be with them, I would see how they act, and what really needed to happen is for them to face their consequences, but so many parents, so many family members would run to their beck and call and would give them whatever they needed. But when you do that, you're furthering and enabling them. You're not letting them be fully broken by the Lord. And in order to be, to realize that you need to be saved, in order to realize you need to be saved, you need to be broken. Right? Moving on. <clears throat> it says, but when he came to himself in verse 17, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? So it says, but when he came to himself. So this is when he came to the right mind. This is when he finally realized that Everything that Satan had told him was a lie. That picture that he painted of the sin and how glorious it looked, that was never true to begin with, right? And he comes to the right mind, and we're going to see that he realizes that he has to go home. 
And I can still remember to this day what it was like for me when I came to my senses. I was in the hospital and I was dying. I had a serious infection and I almost died from it. I had 103 fever for a week. And my aunt, she had served at a church in South Jersey, at Calvary, South Jersey. And she ran a ministry there that would go and pray for people that were in the hospital. And she came in, she gave, gave me a Bible, and, I, and she prayed for me. And I started reading in the book of Luke. And it was then and there, after trying that, everything the world had to offer, you know, the crutches that they would give you for the drugs, the programs, the 12 steps, all these things that never worked for me, um, I finally came to my senses. I realized that I had to come back to the Lord. And that's exactly what happens in this prodigal's life here. And in verse 18 he says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And this is the point that every prodigal needs to come to. Right? He says, I have sinned. He doesn't say, you have sinned. He doesn't say, it's my mom's fault. He doesn't say, it's my dad's fault. He doesn't say, it's my brother's fault. He doesn't say, it's my sister's. He said, it's my fault. And he owns up to his own sin. And this is where we see that the prodigal finally humbles himself. And that is the key, humbling yourself and realize that, that you need saving. You can't be saved unless you realize that you need a savior. So moving on, verse 20. It says, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. So the head of the house on that day, the father, he probably hadn't ran in years. The fathers don't run, right? The people run to and fro from that. The servants, they would go out and send out he said, yo, go grab me something. They went and grabbed it. So this father never ran in years. No one probably there even saw him run. And to run to his son, he would literally have to gird up his loins. He would have to gird up this robe. He was probably wearing white because he had money. He had to gird it up. And no doubt, he was sitting there looking for his son every single day. Remember I said in the beginning that when his son left, his heart probably went with him. It's the truth. That was his little boy. Every day, he was looking and waiting for his son to come back. And just think about the joy that he had when he finally saw his son coming, right? It probably left him speechless. And he ran to him for the first time in years. And he had compassion on him. And he fell on him and he kissed him. Regardless of all the dirt from the pig, all the grime, how bad he probably smelled, he probably smelled disgusting. Right? He didn't care. It was still his son. And he still kissed him. And it's the same thing with God. See, when we go and we start living in sin as a prodigal, the enemy tells you, God doesn't love you. Those people in your life, you've hurt them too many times. They don't care about you anymore. Just give up. Right? All these lies in your head that make you start to hate yourself. And, it's, and the enemy tries to prevent you from, from repenting. But it's not true. As we see as the prodigal's father ran out to him and kissed him and hugged him. It's the same thing with God. Right? When we mess up and we finally come back to him, he is so ready for us that he runs to us 
and he saves us, and he embraces us, and he blesses us. And we'll see what happens next. It says, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here, and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. But he was lost and is found. And they begin to be married. So he had this whole speech planned in his head. He was like, I'm going to come back. And he was humbled. He was like, I'm, I'm not even going to try and be a son again. I messed that up. I blew that. If I could just be a servant again, I would have all the food I need. I will have anything I need. So he comes back humble. The father runs to him, shows him compassion, loves him, gives him a best, the best robe that they have, put it on him, put a ring on him. And this was a sign that he was making him his son again, making him an heir again. There was a signet on that ring that he would stamp stamps with, saying that he was part of that family again, and probably gave him an inheritance again. And it's the same thing that God does for us when we come back to him. No matter how far we drift, no matter how far we go, he still calls us back, and he still makes us one of his sons again, right? And notice in verse 23 it says, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Notice how he didn't say, bring the salads out. Notice how, <laughs> notice how he didn't say, bring the vegan bowls out. Sorry, Troy, I know you're a vegan. I saw you, but I had to do it. Um, he didn't say, you know, bring the smoothies out. He said, no, go get the fat calf, bring that out here, we're having ribeye tonight, like, we're getting it. I think me and Micah actually might have some ribeye tonight. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a celebration. And that's what happens just when one sinner comes back to God, right? And so I don't know if there's a prodigal listening. I don't know if someone will listen online or a parent will show that to them. But I just wanna let you know that I was in your position before. I was there. I thought that no one loved me. Right? I thought I had burned every bridge, and I was suicidal. I didn't want to be here anymore, right? But it was a lie. God had another plan for me. He had a whole new life for me. He saved me. And so tonight can be the night that you come home. It really can. And I remember when I was in the hospital, and can you bring up the next slide? And I remember in the hospital, and this is my last point, and this is embrace them when they truly repent. So if you're a family member of a prodigal, and this doesn't mean trust them right away because they burn that trust. They don't deserve it right away. This doesn't mean go and start buying them stuff again. This doesn't mean giving them a bunch of freedom again, however that may be. It means that you help them work back their, their way to, to being in fellowship with God, if that makes sense. So whether that's showing them love, taking them to church, praying with them and for them the, throughout the whole process, which I know you guys already are if you have a prodigal, you pro guys are probably praying for them daily. Point them to faith-based programs if need be. Connect them with leadership, right? And I remember when I was in the hospital and I was finally broken and my mom, she really like, I, when I was in the hospital, I almost died. I thought it was over. I thought no one loved me anymore. And I'm laying there on the, on the bed and I was so swollen with the allergic reaction I had. 
And I remember my mom came in, and at that point, I didn't think my mom even cared because my mom was so tough. Like, she knew how to play it off. She was allowing the Lord to really chastise me in order to break me enough to bring me back. And she comes in, and she sees me there almost dead on the hospital bed. If you were here, it was the one where I was on the hospital bed, the picture I showed a couple weeks ago. And she just started bawling. Like, she just started crying. And it was really in that moment that I, I realized everything I had done. And it meant so much to me because I realized that my mom still loved me and she still cared about me. And from that point on, she would be in my corner fighting for me. And that meant the world to me. And so I'm saying, if you guys have a prodigal in your life, regardless of how, how hard it might be, try to show them the love of God. Of course they don't deserve it, but we don't deserve the love of God either. Right, try and help them in any way possible to bring him back to the Lord. That brings the conclusion of my study. Um, but if you have a prodigal in your life, or you are a prodigal, I'll be up here for prayer again. I really want to pray with you. I really want to hear your story. I really want to connect with you. And if the worship team can come back up, I really want to be able to help you in any way possible. That's what I have a heart for. I love prodigals. And I saw my mom, and I saw how, how much she went through. And it breaks my heart whenever I see my friends still doing that and hurting them. Right? So I want to help you in any way possible. Possible, Come up and get prayer at the end. And we have communion, so this is the commandment of the Lord. Right? The bread, the unleavened bread a picture of the sinless body of Christ that he broke for us, and the blood of grapes, a sign of the blood that Jesus shed for us to make us pure, and he commanded us to take part in this, to remember him, so I'll pray of it, and during the last song, would you guys partake together with us? Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be able to share your word, Lord. God, and there's so many prodigals who are in the world, Lord, and, and I have no idea who's going to hear this message. I really don't, God, but you put it on my heart for a reason. Lord, I don't know if it was for a parent or for a prodigal, Lord, but I just pray that if it is a prodigal, that you would bring them home. Lord, and you would give wisdom and peace and joy and comfort to the parents that are dealing with them. Lord, it's heartbreaking. It's a hard thing to go through. Lord, and we thank you that your body was beaten for us, Lord. We thank you that you sacrificed yourself on the cross for us to be in right standing in your Father's eyes. Lord, so we thank you, Jesus, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.